growing up with a growing understanding speech pathology. Conversations about children's development that will support you through your parenting journey. Welcome back to another episode of Growing Up with a Growing Understanding Speech Pathology. Today I'm joined by Tony Wilson, who is a author, a writer and a children's author at that. And I'm speaking to Tony today in regards to his journey as a parent and also as an author. Thanks so much for jumping on our podcast, Tony. No worries, Lauren. Before we jumped on and started recording, you asked me how I came across you. The biggest way that I came across you was that you wrote a children's book that was a part of an event called National Simultaneous Storytime. Can you tell me about what that story was and about the event, National Simultaneous Storytime? That was in 2017 and National Simultaneous Storytime is when people all around Australia, and now it's New Zealand as well, they encourage parents and kindergarten teachers and school teachers and basically anyone who might read to kids to read to kids all at the same time. And they pick a book every year to be the title that gets read at the same time. And they chose my one, which was The Cow Tripped Over the Moon. It was written, I think, in 2015 it came out, but it got this fantastic boost in 2017 because I think it was something like 700,000 kids read the book at the same time, at 11 a.m. one day in May of 2017. So, I mean, that was incredible. As a speech pathologist and as a speech pathology business owner, we think that that particular event is incredible and an awesome opportunity to be able to share books with children. But I particularly was drawn to the book, The Cow Tripped Over the Moon, and your story behind how that story was developed. Can you share a little bit about the book and and your journey with that, that particular book? So this one was basically asking the question, what happened before the cow jumped over the moon? Because that was a nursery rhyme I loved. I used to sing it to all of my kids. I've got four kids and it was probably my favourite song to sing. I just thought it was so silly in the sense that it had such a wacky array of characters in it. You know, it's got a leaping cow and it's got a dish and a spoon, suddenly cutlery and crockery are getting involved and it's got a laughing dog and a, a cat and a fiddle and all. It's just a really fun and it's also a good tune. So it's of all the nursery rhymes, I think it's got quite an interesting little ditty to it as well. So I sang it all the time. And then as a as a kid's book author, you, you're often asking questions of what, what if this happened or what if that happened? And I guess I was thinking about, well, that's a pretty smooth little passage over the moon that she just takes off and goes straight over. Wouldn't she have to train? And then I thought, oh, this could be a great way to talk about training and and preparation and, and trying and trying again and perseverance. And so I thought, what if we talk about, you know, the, the, the preparation? I started writing a long book, a chapter book, where it kind of involved the training of the cow and having a kind of a mean competitor who was trying to cheat and all those didn't quite work. And, and so in the end, I stripped it right back to just saying, here are the eight previous slip, slap sticky attempts on the moon by the cow. And she has all sorts, you know, she jumps under the moon, she trips over the moon, she jumps over the sun and skip, takes a wrong turn. You know, so it became this slap sticky comedy book. And, and the story that I then talked about with this is the need for perseverance in kids. And, and I, I probably think, what might have attracted you to talking to me today is that the, the kid I had in mind in particular is my son, Jack, who is now nine years old. 
And when this came out, he would have been about five years old, I think, or four. He has cerebral palsy, affects all his limbs. He is in a wheelchair, didn't walk then, and he doesn't walk now. And it's now very unlikely he'll be a, a walking kid. He is a verbal kid, uh, but he has speech therapy. He's, he's a kid who has some impediments in terms of the muscle movement around his mouth. And he has limited vision as well. And so, and so when I was thinking of you know, what kids have to do and to make the general point that you don't just jump over the moon first time, you know, what I watched with Jack was you know, tr- us trying to build up to being able to sit on a couch unassisted for 10 seconds and him trying to take some steps in his walker without getting his legs tangled around each other. And, and, and so, so you sort of see a kid who really has to work so hard to get every step of his life in order. And so you know, he was the inspiration for the book. I mean, the book's dedicated to him. And I think the, the dedication at the start says to my darling Jack, you will jump moons. And I think that that background of perseverance and resilience building, I think is certainly one of my favourite things about The Cow Tripped Over the Moon is it helped me as a parent to be able to describe that idea of not just always having a skill and getting a skill straight away, that there needs to be that training and there needs to be that effort put in and effort over time. And so my children adore your book and we read it. And so I've got children similar age to your children so I've got an eight and a nine-year-old and they just adore the book and the other thing is a speech pathologist that I particularly like as well as you know that idea of trying for a skill and you know from a speech pathologist perspective that's something that we're really working on and wanting children to be able to practice something and put in that effort over time but I love the vocabulary in it. So one of my favourite lines in it is, you know, the little dog laughed, he laughed till he barfed. And, you know, know. (laughs) so I think some of those sorts of things, you know, like the vocabulary and the words that you don't necessarily hear too often. It's interesting you bring that up, Lauren, because I've done a few rhyming books and I always think they're a good excuse to slip in. It's very pleasurable when you read a rhyme that isn't just a simple jump and bump because we get used to those sorts of rhymes. But sometimes, you know, I had one that was, it seems a moon clearance takes great perseverance. And to have that rhyme, it just happens less often. And there's something that when it clicks into place is very satisfying. I had another picture book called The Thirsty Flowers where it said, the doctor continued, let's start off with Daisy. Right now, I'm afraid her prognosis is hazy. And you sleep in prognosis, which no six or seven or eight year old kid knows but if the words around it are understandable then sometimes that's a a moment where they either the penny drops on that word or it's a chat with mum and dad and I've had a little bit of instruction on how to read out loud to kids and and one of the best tricks you can do is to break from the text you know to say oh can you see there look the little dog over there looks like he's standing on a bush you know and and just saying that means that suddenly the engagement with the child is, is, is much more direct rather than it feeling as though that you're just reading through and then the book will be over and you'll put you to bed sort of thing. That a lot of the engagement and the love and the memorable moment for the child is that they have your attention. The idea that there's something that parents can talk about in the text, 
I think he's really good. Yeah, you've summed that up beautifully, Tony. I think that idea of shared engagement and shared enjoyment with that book is really important. And also the bit that you were mentioning about those unfamiliar words, that it can be other more familiar words surrounding it that can help that understanding of the vocabulary. And it can also be that it can open up a conversation about what does that word mean and then being able to practice using that in different scenarios and different situations down the track. So it's one of the joys about book reading. We want to know who you'd like to hear from or what topics you would like us to discuss so we can continue to grow together. Reach out via email to growingup at agrowingunderstanding.com.au. The Cow Tripped Over the Moon is obviously the book that we've been talking about. Have you got a favourite book that you have written? Is The Cow Tripped Over the Moon a favourite or what's your favourite one that you have written? So that one is my favourite rhyming book that I did and, and I love it because it has a beautiful simplicity. Uh, it's also very, I think it's funny uh, and it's also got a, a sort of a strong message to it. And I've now done four backstories to nursery rhymes. So I, I did Hickory Dickory Dash, which is the story of why the mouse ran up the clock. Um, I did one called Baba Blue Sheep, which is a sharing story about the little boy down the lane getting three bags full. It's kind of, it's, it's the backstory of how that happened. And that's about a fighting master and a dame learning to share with the help of the little boy down the lane. And then I did one called Humpty Dumpty Sat on the Slide. And, and that, that one was a bullying story. Humpty's having a hard time. Things are going wrong for him. He gets laughed at by all the king's horses and all the king's men. And in the end, he needs a friend to help him and to stand up and help him show agency in, in kind of a bullying situation. So the idea of these backstories was to have fun and provide, I guess, a bit of a message as well associated with a famous backstory to a nursery rhyme and my favorite is cow i think it's the strongest of the four and is probably the reason that the other three happened although hickory dickory dash did get the simultaneous story time the next year so they had me two years in a row i think there were over a million people who read it together in 2018 which was wonderful we're going to be a part of the national simultaneous story time again this year not one of your books but yeah still part of the event and i think (laughs) it's a great opportunity I've absolutely had my go. You've had had two goes and there's quite a few children's book authors in Australia who haven't had a go yet. So I'm willing to concede it is not my turn. (laughs) Do you read a lot yourself and as a family, do you read a lot of books? We do. We've got a massive amount of books here and we're a member of the library as well. And just think it's a really lovely thing to do at the end of the day. We've got four kids and I guess uh, one of the things I think is really important as a parent is as your ch- children get older and your kids will be just going through that window now where they're, they're a bit big for picture books. And so it's more of a commitment each night to sit down and do your chapter of the chapter book. So I really encourage people to keep going with that, like the idea of those middle grade books and, and in the end even getting up to YA books and reading a chapter a night with kids they still crave the attention and the engagement and it's it's a real thing you can share and i remember from my own childhood that some of the most memorable little images i still have and i don't think it's just because i'm an author now but i think the books that stick with me from my own childhood um, my dad read all of the c.s lewis books and you know we used to have a joke sharps the word which was this sort of old-fashioned way of saying hurry up and get going sharps the word so as a kid dad would say come on get in the car sharps the word 
and it became like a saying that is shared and is memorable through my life that then reminds me of the fact that dad was still there reading Narnia when I was probably eight, nine, ten, or 11. And then I remember being at Wilson's Promontory with the Banksia man. And that again would have been a chapter a night. I think that one was with mum. And we were finding all the different characters from the May Gibbs world at Wilson's Promontory down here in Victoria where, you know, it's just full of all the Australian flora and fauna. And, and so the engagement, the memorable moments of my life, quite a few of them from that early time seem to be associated with the book that we're reading. And, and my son's now 11, and each night we do a chapter of a book that's called The Last Wild. I can't even remember who the name of the author is, but it's, it's sort of a, a boy who can communicate with animals in his head, and yet he doesn't have a voice to communicate with people. It's probably quite a good speech therapist <laughs> book, to be honest. Uh, so it's called The Last Wild. It's a bit of a post-apocalyptic book as well. There's, things have gone very badly in terms of us exterminating all the animals and, and there's no real food supply. and it's, it's quite grim. But this is a book that I'm reading each night with the 11-year-old. I'm hoping that some of those memories will be marked down on him in the same way as they have been with my parents and me. And like you say, it's quite a process to take that time out to sit down and read aloud those bigger chapter books. And we do the same every night and it's part of the children's routine. And we find that if we skip that, if we're running out of time and we skip the sharing of books out loud, that it actually disrupts their routine and that they don't settle as well in the evening. But we spend some time reading out loud and sharing that chapter books. And then we give them time to read themselves and to quietly read as part of that wind down process. So it can be quite time consuming, but we just enjoy that time together and we enjoy sharing different stories and experiencing now some of the books that I read as a child, now sharing it with my children, I really enjoy those. Do you know that, and you might be thinking, we've, well, we've got four kids and you think, oh gosh, that's pretty daunting to get around every kid and be reading to them. But one helper we've had, and screen time is possibly the enemy in all of this, but I've found it to be very useful to have an iPad that is working with Storybox Library or something like that. You know, one of the ones where an actor is reading the book out loud. And even though that kind of parental connection is what, is what we were really getting at before, if I'm doing the book with Harry upstairs and my nine-year-old Jack, I can't do it with him at the same time. I, I do put a story box library on. A great book is read to him by an actor. And, you know, he's obsessed with Danny Katz reading the Little Lunch series to him. And he, he's seriously watched them all 50 times it's it's incredible but you know that is an option for some people to consider if, if you're just struggling for time it's better than parking them in front of a tv show or a game or an app this idea of books being read still but on video for us at our library if you become a member of the local library there is an access point by putting your library barcode into Storybox Library, you can access some of their titles. So you might, might not have to pay. That almost answers one of my questions. I don't know whether you had something different to that, but I was going to say, what's one of your parenting hacks? Maybe that in itself is a bit of a parenting hack that you can get around to. <laughs> but do you have any others? <laughs> Storybox Library is a very good 
parenting hack. My other ones are things that have worked well for us. We, it's in the whole world of parenting or just in the kind of educating words. I'm really open to any sort of parenting advice to help working with children and helping children to grow and develop. I think any insights are really valuable, I think. Well, one thing is to somehow get them out the door. So really whatever you're doing can turn into an adventure. And I always think, well, the the worst times are that kind of if the grind is happening and you're folding washing or they're on the screen and you're you're telling them to do their homework or telling them to read. And the kind of most tense moments in our house are when everyone is inside and it goes on and on. But really, if you introduce any element of the outside world to the equation, everything suddenly seems less tense, less on edge. It might mean just getting on a bike or walking to the park or going and buying something at the bakery or just grabbing a frisbee. In fact, there's my parenting hack. Grab a frisbee, own a frisbee or possibly even free and throw a frisbee whenever you feel stressed because frisbees bring joy to the world. It's actually not even my parenting hack. It's John Clark, the great New Zealand comedian. He used to have a frisbee in his car when he very sadly died a few years ago. They told a story at his funeral that, you know, one guy remembered he was an advertising executive and John Clark knocked on the office door and rang up and said, I've got something, it's important, I need to see you. And this guy, I'm busy at the moment, I can't see you. And when he finally got him down, he just said, we're going to play a little bit of frisbee. <laughs> and so out they went to the park in the middle of a work day and played frisbee. All human beings who play a little bit of frisbee feel happier. I think that's a good one. I love it. (laughs) My most tense times in parenting is certainly getting out the door in the morning and particularly as you're going to school. But I find it really interesting what you're saying about bringing the outside world in because as soon as I open up the garage doors or open, like physically open up the door, everyone just seems to kind of chill and it's like, oh, well, we're going out and we're doing that anyway. So, you know, that in itself I think is a good thing to reflect upon. And I'm not sure I'm very good at the what I'm preaching in terms of the de-stress we've got all these deadlines and all these important things that need to happen and and that feeling of oh it's 905 and I haven't left the house and it's 10 minutes to get to school I'm gonna have to do another late sleep and they're gonna be sneering at me in the office oh it's Tony again with his late slips and you know there's all those feelings of inadequacy that flood in and and there's possibly not a full appreciation of the situation coming from when you feel that you're being sneered at or feeling inadequate, you know, that no one actually knows what it is to get four kids to school, including a kid who can't dress himself or feed himself. And, you know, so the the pressure can be enormous and, and we can still feel that weight of failure, you know. And I think I'd do a lot better if I was able to not feel that failure to say, well, it just doesn't matter. I was 10 minutes late. I don't care. You can sneer away. And the kids are going to be fine as well being 10 minutes late for school. And I guess I'd like to say that that's my hack or my advice is just to give yourself a break and to say, well, I tried my best this morning. It wasn't worth going to war in order to be on time and then be frazzled for two and a half hours afterwards because I've screamed at everyone and I feel bad. Take a deep breath. It doesn't matter. We'll get there. Yeah, and that would be how I'd like everyone to be, but I'm not sure I am 
perfectly like that. In fact, my wife will be laughing as she listens to this if she does listen to it. (laughs) Take a breath, calm down and go and throw a frisbee. (laughs) Are you concerned about your child's communication and language skills? A growing understanding speech pathology will help you and your child grow confidence and communication skills. Visit agrowingunderstanding.com.au to make an appointment today. In terms of your understanding of speech pathology, I dare say that Jack has received speech pathology before, but what's your experience of being about speech pathology and speech pathologists and and what it is that we do? I saw a speech pathologist as a kid. I'm now a public speaker. I do MC work and you know I run a speeches website and would love to think that I'm quite fluent and good with words. And when I was a kid, my mum took me along to a speech therapist because I think I had kind of bucky teeth and was struggling with S's or something like that or struggling with T's and so I went along to a speech therapist speech pathologist for six months and what I remember is going up to a little room in the city and she gave me scratch and sniff stickers if I did well and these were big deal in the 80s and they're some of the happiest memories of my life and then in the end it was a thing that I you know I was on the less serious end of the scale in terms of needing help with a speech impediment and so you know it all had quite a happy ending I guess so I had a very positive experience of scratching stickers and feeling like I went well at speech therapy Jack's situation in some ways it's our biggest stroke of fortune is that he is a verbal child and I haven't been the parent of a non-verbal child and I understand that people who speak through devices. And there's the alternative augmentative communication systems or, yeah, so picture exchange systems as well where you're passing cards and any sort of visuals and board maker visuals and those kind of things. Is that what you're thinking about? Yeah, so we, we saw lots of kids at CPEC, which was the cerebral palsy centre that we attended when Jack was very little and, you know, enormously challenging but, but no doubt very fulfilling once you work the systems out and you get them moving smoothly but we've been very fortunate that he's verbal i mean it's a of all the things that i give thanks for i guess you know we've struggled on a few fronts like we've struggled on continents we've struggled on movement we've struggled on vision but he has terrific hearing and he is verbal and so conversations work pretty well with jack he has some issues with contact syllables and being really clear. He works with speech therapists on how to present information because he, he sometimes has to, in fact, his current speech therapist is Anasha Gard down here in Melbourne and she's getting him to do the question words like a where, when, why and with who for each thing that he wants to impart. He also works on emotional response to things. He has had speech therapist really from pretty much the start and very much a part of his therapy program. And overall, I mean, a lot of it happens at school now because Anaksha attends at school for her private session with him. And so I don't see it necessarily in action, but I, I get the reports from Anaksha and she tells us what he's up to. It's a great job you're doing and it's, it makes a real difference. And, you know, I've, I've noticed Jack get clearer and he's, his future kind of depends on his ability to interact with voice technologies. And so if we can just get him a bit clearer, he gets so frustrated when he gets onto, hey, Google, can you do this on the Google Home Mini or Siri on the iPad? 
trying to get instructions across to be able to see or do the things that he wants to do on the device, a lot of that is going to be reliant on voice technology, any ability to write his responses in terms of schoolwork. He doesn't have hand abilities in terms of handwriting and so he'll need to be able to vocalise his work and, and so we're just hoping that he can get a little clearer so that those technologies can work well for him. But overall, as you say, a lot of contact with Jack and speech therapy. Mm, And interesting that, yeah, you yourself as a child had speech pathology services as well. Yeah. I remember watching a comedian years ago when I was studying speech pathology and all she remembered when she was attending speech pathology as a child was having to say the word wagon time after time after time and she said I can say the word wagon I don't understand why I needed to say the word wagon that many times and so I think you know I think that that's what's really interesting about being a parent and about you know being a speech pathologist as well as it's good about being able to identify when a child does need to access speech pathology services and that we can play a part in that growing up journey but at the same time yeah it's interesting reflecting on that experience now as a parent as well isn't it (laughs) well it's always tempting you know it's tempting to say look this is slightly off i should do something about it and i I appreciate actually that my mum thought that way on so many fronts you know she was always looking for the the things she could help us with but i guess i'm really talking about a matter of scale when there's someone as you say it's very obvious to everyone that jack is is probably going to need that service and yet people on the kind of the higher functioning ends it must just be a different experience to be working with them we 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 really trying to fine-tune someone who's got almost the whole skill versus someone who's quite a long way off the whole skill and that's where our experiences and our relationships with families differ on that scale that you know there are some families that we have come in and out of our service very quickly and then there are some families that we hold on to for a little bit longer and support them at different parts in their journey and what it is that they're needing to work on in that particular point in time absolutely thank you so much for your time today tony i loved chatting to you about your experiences as a parent and also as an author and your journey in writing some of those children's books some of my personal favorites so thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it thanks for listening to growing up with a growing understanding speech pathology we love helping families navigate their parenting concerns and ensuring your child can grow and achieve Please rate and review wherever you're listening so we can continue to grow together.